Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. We're going to pass out the lesson again this morning. Now, let me understand why, again, why I pass the lessons out. Even though I know they may, take, they may have a typo here and there. I mean, I, I look, look them over two or three times, but you really can't proofread your own writing most of the time. And... Uh, So there may be, but, but none of them will, will, will change the meaning of what's being conveyed. Now, let me say this, and we're going to do this on the honor system. Last week, uh, we had you go to the book table if you wanted a copy of the lesson and to buy a CD, pay your $5 to get a CD. Well, this one has so many scriptures in it that it'd be so much, this one today, I wanted you to have it in front of you so you could follow along. But what I would like for you to do, those of you who would agree to do this strictly on your own, go to the book table, give them your $5 for a CD or tape, and you already have your printed copy of this. So I'll let you decide on your own if you're gonna do that or not. But the reason I'm giving you this is that I want you to have what's in it. I want you to be able to reflect on it and to know that these scriptures are in the Bible and the scriptures are speaking to you and the scriptures are for you. And they're for you to stand on and to apply to your life. Now, there's a growing trend among some churches today to eliminate a lot of citations of scripture and a lot of looking at the word because they say that the parishioners have a short attention span and so some some individuals some individuals have cut the message down to 20 minutes and so forth and so on but i want you to know but i want you to know why i still adhere to apostle price's approach to teaching the word because we found in the word several things that point to the fact that you need to know the word. First of all, Jesus tells us that we should live by every word. He didn't say some of the words, a few of the words or the ones that you like, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then God himself tells us this in Hosea 4, 6. He says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. He didn't say they were destroyed for a lack of giving, for a lack of praying, for a lack of worship, or a lack of any of these other things. All of those other things are important. But he said they are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. He knows that if you get the knowledge, you will know because the word tells you that you need to worship your Lord, your, uh, uh, Father God. Worship precedes asking and receiving. We taught this this morning in our, in our class. Key, but he doesn't say that you're destroyed for a lack of that. He says it's knowledge of the word. An apostle has taught, he says that if you get enough knowledge, you can become inspired. You can come, become inspired by the word. I get inspired by the word. The more I study the word, the more inspired I get. So on, so. Uh, and I really subscribe to Isaiah, which says that uh, he will keep you in perfect peace, whose mind... No, don't start the tape yet. Don't start the tape yet. But this is all introductory. Okay. We haven't started the lesson yet. This is all free. The scripture that says that he will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. How do you keep your mind stayed on him? You keep your mind stayed on the word. 
if you don't know where the word is, actually the word is anytime you open the Bible, but it helps to be able to pinpoint those words that really strengthen you at a time that you need strength in a particular area. So we study the word because we want to gain knowledge. And our last scripture today, which I think we'll get to, talks about the fact that you derive increase. Grace and peace is multiplied to you with the increase in the knowledge of God. Knowledge of God is knowledge of his word. You get increased from increase in knowledge. That's why you need to study the word. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith in the word, not by sight. We don't walk blindly. You're walking based on what you know, what the word says. So the word is important. So that's why you will continue to get word from me. And, and so you have a lot of word today uh, in part eight. But don't forget, those of you who are so moved, go to the bookstore, pay your $5, you can get the tape, the CD or DVD along with it. Now, all right, you can start the tape. All that was free. <laughs> Not that this isn't free as well. The word is free. Now, you can follow along with me, and I'll pretty much follow the text. As I say here, in exploring the question, why do we study the word from the Bible? We looked last time at how faith helps us focus on who we really are in Christ. It helps us to see who we really are. This focus through faith enables us in the words of Jesus to judge not according to appearance, but to judge righteous judgment. Righteous judgment is seeing rightly. It's seeing yourself and other persons, places, things, and conditions rightly. Uh, with the eyes of faith, we can look past the limited view of ourselves that we see in the mirror and see the spiritual dimension of ourselves, the spiritual or Christ self. That Christ self Apostle Paul refers to this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. I summarize it this way. As the mystery which has been hidden from ages and generations, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Christ in you, that's your real self. That's your real, that's who you are. The spiritual dimension. This physical body that you see in the mirror or that we see at each other, that's that's not the real person. As I said last time, you have never seen the real me and I've never seen the real you, and so forth and so on. So, the spiritual dimension is the real person who we are. Now, Christ in you is your source of unlimited potential and power. It's your hope of victory, of overcoming, and your ultimate hope of living the victorious, overcoming life. As I said, we first learn to see ourselves rightly, and then we're able to see other persons, places, things, and conditions rightly. So in our study of the word from the Bible, we learn not to concentrate on the physical things of appearance, but on the invisible things of spirit. And we see this point made in 2 Corinthians 4.18. And by the way, I'm reviewing from last time. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal or temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now again, the things that are seen are temporary means that they are subject to change. That's what temporary means. And that's why we don't lock our gaze on the things that are seen because they're subject to change. I mean, if we locked our gaze on a little child three and say, okay, this is the person. That's not the person. That person is going to grow to be six, nine, twelve. That's not the person. So, see, the, 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 the understanding this is so important. Let me give you an example in terms of, of nature. When you see the tulips on Park Avenue and they grow these beautiful tulips every year, tulips come up because they put the bulbs down there. And so you say, you know, aren't they beautiful? This is a tulip. If that's a tulip, what was the seed that they planted the previous season? The tulip is the whole performance. You can't say the tulip is a seed. You can't say the tulip is just what, the tulip is the whole thing. If 
you confine the tulip to the seed, you would never see the beautiful plant. It's very important to understand this. Now, this is why judging by appearance is not righteous judgment. It's not seeing rightly. As I say here, when you judge yourself or other persons, places, things, or conditions, by appearance, you're condemning them in your mind to remain in that state. In reality, these entities, and you need to listen to this, are not in a state of being. They're in a state of becoming. Becoming means continued growth and movement towards what is better and more perfect. If we were confined to the state of first appearance, uh, you know, this would not bode well for a lot of us because depending on where you are at a particular time, that state may not be a good state. You don't want to remain in that state. You don't want people to hold you to that condition when you are acting in a certain way that that does not comport to reality, good sense, good judgment, integrity, and so forth. So you, you want to be able to change, so forth. So the state of becoming is why things seen are temporary and subject to change, the top of page two. Because everything is in a state of flux, this state of becoming moves from one point of static appearance to subsequent points of change. Now, the Greek philosopher Heraclitus, he's someone who lived about 500 years before Christ, was a key exponent of the belief that everything in the world was in a state of change, in a state of flux. Here are a couple of quotes from him. He says, the only constant thing in the world is change. There is nothing permanent except change. And I like the third one. No man ever steps in the same river twice. Why? For it is not the same river and it's not the same man. Everything is subject to change. Now, I want to mention this. I didn't mention this last time, but I mentioned it and I put it in the notes today. Apostle Paul grew up in Hellenistic Greece. That was the great time when philosophy and knowledge flourished. He was a Hellenistic Jew. And he was a scholar, in case you don't know that about Apostle Paul. And he was familiar with the Greek philosophers. And I think that he may have been familiar with the teaching of Heraclitus on the subject of change. Because we see this reflected in his writing of 2 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 14, where he tells us that things seen are temporary, therefore subject to change. Now, as I said last time, and this is important to remember, this character of changing in appearance of the person is a reason a sick person can be healed. There is that spiritual dimension of us that's always whole. You may not be able to see it, but it's always there and it's always whole, it's always well, it's always wonderful. The spiritual dimension of us can never become sick or ill. And I said, as I said last time, if our spiritual self ever became ill, there's no medicine, no surgery, no treatment that could ever cure it. It doesn't become sick. The only part of us that can become ill or challenged physically with disease is our physical self, which produces the appearance of illness. And I felt the need to explain this because we don't want to say like some uh, religious sects say that the illness is not reality, that it's not real. In the meantime, you're sitting there going through the most excruciating pain and you're saying to yourself, what do you mean this is not real? So what we say is that the challenge in the form of sickness and disease, I'm in the last paragraph on page two, it's not, it is reality, but it's not finality. Finality is your spiritual dimension that is always whole. And that's why sometimes you hear illness described as struggling health, meaning that it is trying to forge past the rim of appearance to the state of finality, where wellness and wholeness always dominates. Now, what may help keep the disease in your body or in your relative's body or in the person that you're praying for in that static condition could well be your lack of faith or belief or their lack of faith or belief. It could also be a case where you are knowingly or unknowingly clinging to the disease as something that belongs to you by referring to it as my cancer, my aching back, 
my arthritis, sickness and disease. And, and this, you know, I wish I could underscore all these sentences that you need to remember. Sickness and disease does not belong to you. It has no business being in your body. You, it has no dominion of power in your body. That's right. You should never claim it as yours. You should never talk about my aching feet, my aching back, or my cancer, or my this or that. I never referred to when I was challenged with cancer as my cancer, because I knew it didn't belong to me. And I wasn't claiming it, and I wasn't <laughs> keeping it. Very important. This is why it's so important what you say. Never claim anything. Don't claim my aching head, my aching stomach, my aching feet. Don't claim it. They don't belong to you. Amen. They don't belong to you. That is not something that, what I say to sickness and disease is that you have no power or dominion in my life. Right. You don't. So don't give it dominion and power by claiming it. Okay. Now the things that are seen are temporary, but the word tells us that there are some things that are everlasting. These are the things that are not seen, which are eternal. That is why 2 Corinthians 4.18 instructs us that the things which are seen are temporary. I'm still reviewing, by the way. But the things which are not seen are eternal. So how do you look at the things and lay hold of these eternal things that are not seen? As Apostle Price says, and I said to you last week, you look at these eternal unseen things through the eyes of faith. Now, let me point out one thing here. This is a little pause. In this series, we are studying one of the most important of the eternal things that you can look at, and that's the Word in the Bible. The Word is eternal. God's Word is eternal. Remember what Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, 35? He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, which are God's words, will by no means pass away. In other words, when everything is gone, his words will remain. They are eternal and everlasting. God's word will not pass away because his words are eternal. That is why we are diligent in our study of the word because the eternal nature of the word can sustain us in this world of challenge and change. Amen. We receive and act on the word by faith. Now, the other thing that we're looking at in this study is something that I just alluded to in terms of who we really are and the other eternal thing and everlasting thing is the Christ dimension within us. That's real and eternal. The Christ dimension within, within us is the reality of us. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we endeavor to conform our outer self, this outer self, to the image of Christ within. Now we know that that's the will of God because he states it in several places. I mentioned one, Matthew 8, 29. You're right there with me. It says this, for whom he, he is God, foreknew. In other words, who he knew at the beginning, foreknew, and he knew us. The word tells us that he knew us from the beginning, before the beginning of time. For us, he also predestined, meaning he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. We're not only to be conformed to the image of Christ Jesus, but as I said last time, we are to be like him on this earth. In John 4, 17, we're told this, and you see the scripture there, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, that's as Christ is, so are we in this world. As he is, in other words, as he is in heaven right now, where is he in heaven? seated at the right hand of the Father. He's King of kings, Lord of lords. We are the very image and likeness of Christ Jesus, and it's not an image that we get only when we get to heaven. Let's be sure. As he is, so are we in this world, means that we are like Jesus right now. Top of page four. And being as he is, we are supposed to reign in life as king, just as he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And I'm still reviewing from last time. Revelations 1.6 tells us this. Jesus tells us this. He has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. And Revelations 5.10 adds, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. We shall reign on earth in this lifetime. So 
There's some in our left. The word is telling us that we are supposed to reign in this life on earth as kings and priests. So I mentioned last time, and I'll mention it again to you, you need to all stop and think. Not necessarily right now, but think later. Am I reigning as a king in this earth? Am I reigning at all? Or as I said last time, are things reigning on you? Are we in a case that Emerson, uh, uh, that great thinker, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, things are in the saddle and ride men. Are things in the saddle riding you? Or are you riding them? Are you reigning over everything? Do you have dominion over everything? Because everything has been put under our feet. Now, the only way we can truly know who we are spiritually and the only way we know that we are supposed to reign in life as kings and priests is by what the word tells us. That's why we study the word. I'm not telling you this. I'm telling you this, but I'm telling you because the word tells us this. We only know what the word tells us if we study and learn the word. Again, this is why we study the word from the Bible. A lot of repetition of the same statement, but this is why we study the word from the Bible. And by taking this word and applying it to our life, we can truly learn to reign in life. Now, in our discussion, why do we study the word from the Bible? We are now looking at the manifold gifts God has given us. Knowledge of these gifts is contained in the word and can only be known, understood, and applied to our life through diligent study of the word. You have to search the scriptures to uncover these blessings contained in God's word. This is what Proverbs 4, verses 20 and 22 tells us. God is speaking. He says, and you have it right there. Verse 20 says, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. 21, do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Why? For they are life to those who find them and health, which literally means medicine to all their flesh. So the words we study from the Bible are life and literally medicine to our flesh. But they are life and medicine to those who find them, which tells us that we have to search for the words and then keep them in the midst of our heart. That's why Jeremiah 15, 16, and we've gone over this before, says, your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. We eat the word when we get it on the inside of us and let it dwell in our hearts where it becomes the joy and rejoicing of our heart. In other words, you get the word, you meditate on it, you keep it in the midst of you, in the midst of your heart, ponder it, meditate on it, and so forth. Now we find the words in the Bible and we study them, meditate on them, and listen to hear what the teachers have to say about them, such as the teacher today. Top of page five. The words of God from the Bible are life and health in that they contain God's clear expression of his love for us, his divine purposes, his explicit commands, his exhortations, his precious promises, and his manifold gifts. If you don't study the word and don't go where the word is taught, you don't know what God has given you. Amen. God has given you. And for the gifts in particular, He's already given those to us. His love is unconditional, and you need to know this, and you get this clearly expressed in the Bible. Now, today, second paragraph, we will continue by looking at some of the specific metaphor gifts God has given us. As we examine these gifts, you will discover some gifts may be intertwined with God's love and promises. Gifts, loves, and promises may come together. Now, we begin with the greatest gift ever given in the history of mankind. And it's enshrined for all eternity in the words of Jesus in John 3, 16 and 17. And we know John 16, everybody can quote that by heart. Every believer can quote this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, which is left out so many times. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, we have always use John 3.16 as an example of God's love and giving. We say those are the two characteristics of God. He loves and he gives. But I have always told you that the teacher, my teacher is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the teacher of this ministry here at Crenshaw Christian Center. The Holy Spirit who guides us, 
into new revelation and illumination on the scripture. Most of the time, it's really just an illumination on the scripture and so forth. So there's a little simple illumination I received. Maybe some of you already know this. I've never heard anybody make reference to it on this scripture. But in John 3.16, it not only is love and giving, but it's a promise there. And this is what it is. Let me explain. In this declaration, John 3.16, we see an example of interlocking, the interlocking of God's love, his gifts and promises. First, we see God's expression of love for the world, which is the world of us. Second, we see the love God manifested through the gift of his son. Third, we see God's promise of eternal or everlasting life. But in this promise, God shows us something that he carries out throughout the rest of the word with his promises. If you are not careful in reading this, you can easily miss this vital point. And that is simply this. And this is where the Holy Spirit as teacher comes into play. As we said last time, God's love is unconditional, meaning that his love is expressed toward us despite our disposition toward him. In other words, despite whatever attitude we have towards him, his love is still unconditional. We see this expressed in Romans 5.8, which says, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's an expression of unconditional love. But when it comes to God's promises of everlasting life in John 3.16, we find that it is conditional. And I want you to see that clearly. Our receiving the promise of everlasting life is conditioned on what? On believing in Christ Jesus. So we see this condition expressed in our salvation scripture, Romans 10, 9, which we all know. If you confess, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, that is, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see here in Romans 10, 9 that our salvation is conditioned on if we confess Jesus as Lord and if we believe that God raised him from the dead. When we discuss the promises of God a little bit later, which we will, we will find that his promises are always conditional, meaning that they require us to do something to receive the particular promise. He simply gives us an early example of this in John 3:16. You will receive the promise of everlasting life if you believe in Jesus Christ. If is a condition and so forth. Now, in talking about God's gifts, Let's note that at the same time, God makes, and we're going to get back to his promises when we come to this later, which will probably be next time. At the same time that God makes the gift of his son, Jesus, to the world, he also gives us the gift of his word. The word, like faith in the word, is foundational. It's foundational to everything, and it's important to understand that Jesus and the word are the same. Let's look again at John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1, verses 3 I'm sorry, one, two, three, and then uh, verse 14. Verse one says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word is Jesus, and the word was God, I'm sorry, the word was with God, and the word was God. So we see that Jesus, the word, and God are the same. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. I'm going to keep coming back to that last one. Nothing that was made uh, was made without Jesus. Mm -hmm. And the word became flesh, verse 14, and the word became flesh, that's the top of page 7, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now the word becoming flesh, it's simply a reference to Jesus coming into the earth realm in the form of a man. As used in John 1 1, and here's something that you need to listen to because it's not always explained. Word is really one of the titles of Lord Jesus. Word, in other words, Jesus is a word, like Jesus is a Christ. Jesus is King of Kings. It's a title, just like King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Here, word comes from the Greek term logos, and you know that L O G O S, logos, which basically means the expression of thought. This thought, a logos, represents the total message of God to man. In other words, the word represents the total uh, message that God has to us, to mankind. And that is why, oh, I'm sorry, Jesus is the embodiment of that total message to mankind, and that is why he is called the logos, or the word, the word of God. When you see the scripture, have you received the word of God? That's 
the same as asking, have you received Jesus? Mm -hmm. Jesus is the word of God. Mm -hmm. So he's called the Logos. And in Colossians 2.9, we're told, for in him, Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus, Jesus embodies all that there is in God. Now, John chapter 1, verses 1, 3, which we just read, said all things are made through him, Jesus, and without him nothing was made that was made. Here we see that God carries out his purpose and his will through the Son and also makes his great gifts through the Son. So the word we study, we see that God's great and precious gifts come through us through the Son. This is throughout the word, and you won't know this unless you're taught the word, unless you study the word. All of his gifts that come through the Son are detailed in the word that we study in the Bible. The gifts through his Son began with salvation and the promise of everlasting life that we saw in John 3.16. The gifts continue through four basic categories that apostle is taught on many times. Those categories are where we're told what we have in Christ, where we're told where we are in Christ, three, what we possess in Christ, and four, what we can do in Christ. Now, I'm going to give you some examples of these in the next page and a half. This is why I passed it out so you could have this, because otherwise you would be turning and turning and turning and so forth. You can follow right along. They're right there. We're starting with Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gift of peace with God that God gives us through Christ. Romans 5.17 says, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, that's Adam, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Through the one Jesus Christ. This is a gift of righteousness, which is right standing with God. That's God's gift of righteousness to us through Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a victory or the gift of victory that God gives us over death. Top of page 8. Ephesians 2, 18. For through him, again through Christ Jesus, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. We have here the gift of access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. Romans 3.24 says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is the gift of redemption. Galatians 4.7 says, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. This is God's gift to us of being a son and an heir of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. This is the gift of a new creation of ourself after being born again. And of course, it starts with the, the, the uh, birth again of our recreated spirit on the inside, and then it works to the outer. Now, uh, Ephesians 1.3 says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Remember, all these are through, in, and so on, Christ. This is the gift of every spiritual blessing that God gives us. Philippians 4.13, the next one. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We read this and talk about it all the time. This is a gift of the ability and the authority to do whatever needs to be done. That's what God gives us. He gives us, he gives, gives us authority over the power of the enemy. He gives us authority over all things. Remember Psalm 8 says that he has put everything under our feet. There's nothing left out of, out of everything. Everything is under our feet, including Satan. That's where Satan is. If Satan is giving you hell in life, it's because you've lifted up your feet and let him out from under it. So forth. So. Because <laughs> you're so busy trying to kick somebody else. Now, you need to keep your foot down on the ground on Satan's neck. That's kind of literal. But uh, now, of Romans 8 2, 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. This is a gift of freedom from the law of sin and death that God gives us through Christ. Ephesians 2, 6. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is a gift of being seated together with Christ in heavenly places. In fact, seated at the right hand of the Father. When God sees us, that's where he sees us. Now, it's hard to, it's, it's really hard. This has to be received by faith. When he sees us, he doesn't see the limited person sitting here right at the table. I'm not pointing at anybody because we're all limited here. He doesn't see that limited human self there. He sees the image of Christ seated with Christ next to him in heaven. When he sees us, he sees Jesus. And this is true, and this is what the Word teaches us. This is why we study the Word in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 5.18 Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is the gift of being reconciled to God and the gift of the ministry of reconciliation. Romans 5.2, the bottom of the page, through whom, the whom is Christ, also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is a gift of access to grace by faith through Christ Jesus. And at the top of page 9, Romans 8, 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him, that's Christ, who loved us. This is the gift of total victory over any and all challenges we face in life. So, you know, this scripture is, is, is one that I, I use a lot because sometimes we go through a lot. Sometimes you may have a physical challenge, you may have a financial challenge at the same time, you may be having trouble with a problem child, you may be, you may be having trouble with your spouse at the time, you may be having trouble on the job, coworkers may be conspiring against you, the supervisor, supervisor may be conspiring against you, all kinds of things would be happening at the same time. This tells you that yet in all these things, you are more than conquerors through Christ who loved you. It's important to know that, but if you don't know that's in, that's in the word or you hear it, you don't know that you can stand on that. Very important. So there are countless more scriptures, and I mean endless scriptures throughout, that show the gifts that we have from God in and through Christ Jesus. I can't review all of these today or in this particular lesson, but look at Colossians 2, uh, verses 9 and 11. Colossians uh, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, which is right there in front of you. It sums up the whole thing pretty well right there of what we have in Christ. It says in verse 9, for in him, that's in Christ Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And 10, and you are what? Complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Now let me explain this a little bit. What we are being told in these two scriptures from Colossians is that in Christ, the complete and infinite power of God resides in the physical body of Christ in this case, or in the human nature of Christ. Because it says, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This is important for us, the believer today, to understand because the word tells us that the Godhead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwells in our body and our human nature. This is a gift of God to us that he himself is and that equips us with the vast, unlimited, and as I say here, unfortunately, in many cases, untapped resource of the kingdom that so many people fail to you. It's placed in us. But I'm not just saying that. I'm going to give you the scriptures where it tells us this. And again, if you don't study the word or know the word or taught the word, you don't know this. I'm not saying that the Godhead is, 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 is in, I'm not, I'm not I mean, I'm not just saying this off the top of my head. I'm going by what the word tells us. And here it is right here. And this is why I wanted you to have this in your, your hand. You can go look at this. And you go check it out in the Bible, as Apostle Price says. Number one, 1 Corinthians chapter 3.16. You can remember Corinthians 1, Corinthians 3.16, because it's John 3.16. But you don't have to memorize it. You have it right here. Keep it on file. It says this, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? This is what the Word is telling you. 
The Spirit of God dwells in you. You're the temple of God. That's why the church is not the temple. Obviously, this hotel room is not the temple. No building is the temple. And I, when I see people so preoccupied with the building and so forth, that's not God's temple. You're God's temple. And when people talk about, well, I'm going to church today because I, I need to speak to God or find God, I've said it before, the only way God is here or at any church service is if you bring him with you. Okay, you're not going to the building to find him there. He's only here if you bring him with him. Okay. Now, the second one, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says this, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? who you have for God, from God, and you are not your own. So your body, you know, as you see right here, God, the Spirit of God dwells in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. Actually, the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit really are, are, are the same. And then Colossians chapter 1, verses 26, 27, which I summarized to you before as this, the mystery hidden from ages and generations, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So you've got God, the Holy Spirit, and Christ in you. And Ephesians 3.17 says this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You receive all of this. The word tells you this, but you receive it all through faith. Now, John 14.23 says this, in the mouth of Jesus. Jesus is speaking. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we, meaning the Father and Jesus, will come to him and make our home with him meaning he's going to come and live with us, dwell with us, inside of us. And they'd rather be inside of us instead of some of the homes that we live in. So, <laughs> so he's, he's, he's in us. So you can, don't worry about your house. He's not going to be embarrassed by your house that you live in. Uh, he's in you. And then at the top of page 10, 1 John 5, 7, rounds it all out. says, for there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, that's God. The Word, that's Jesus the Son, as we've just described. And the Holy Spirit. And what does it say? These three are one. So what that means is wherever one is, the other one is there. So even without giving this breakout of scriptures, if Christ is within us, our hope of glory, then the Holy Spirit and the Father is also there. Now, Second paragraph, top of 10, with the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in Christ, and we have Christ in us, the hope of glory, Colossians chapter 2, verse 10 is able to declare this. And you have it right there. And you, that's us, are complete in him who is ahead of all principality and power. And of course we're complete in him with the Godhead. We're complete in him because with the Godhead, you have all power in heaven. Oh, and with... with Got it, because remember, all power in heaven and earth has been given to him, Christ Jesus, and him resides in us. You cannot be more complete than that. If the Godhead dwells in us, in you, that's God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus the Son, can you think of anything that's more powerful than that in the world, in the universe, or any world? No, we have it all. So when you hear someone tell you that you already have it, you do have it. We do have it. You just have to be taught that you have it, and then you have to let it unfold, and you let it unfold in faith. And we'll talk more about that later. So now, in discussion of what we have in Christ, we should not overlook the role that God ordained for Jesus to play in the transfer of the gift of the blessing of Abraham. Now, why is the blessing of Abraham so important? We're going to act like this is a Bible study. And who knows? Why are the blessings of Abraham? He's already said that he's given us, we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. It's because the blessings of Abraham, remember, are material blessings. That's where the money and the material, your clothes, your car, your house, and so forth comes in. So it's important that we have the, the blessing of Abraham. So we see the role that Jesus plays here. Galatians 3, chapter 13. I mean, I'm sorry, verses 13 and 14, it says this. In 13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone 
who hangs on a tree. 14, why is this redemption so important? By Jesus, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. Gentiles, that's us. In Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Through the work of Christ Jesus, ordained by God, we have the blessing of Abraham. Material blessing and so forth. So we have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, and we have material blessing uh, through Father Abraham. Look at Galatians 3, chapter 27 and 29, which is right below that. Verse 27, for as many as you were baptized in the Christ, as many as of you and me baptized in the Christ have put on Christ, we are baptized in the Christ when? When we are born again by accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. After that point, we now belong to Christ. So we are Christ. 29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So, forth. so we have the material blessing given by God to us through Jesus as a transfer agent. Then we come to the gift at the very bottom that's so important to us as aid and comfort for us in our daily journey on earth. When Jesus departed this earth, Father God and the Son arranged for us to receive the gift of another comforter and helper in the person of the Holy Spirit. So important. Recall these words from John chapter 14, verse 25, where Jesus says this, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. What's left out of all? Top of page 11. Continuing with his description of the Holy Spirit in John uh, chapter, uh, that has to be chapter 14. Not, not, it, says, it has to be chapter 14. That's a typo. Jesus says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for what? He dwells with you and will be where? In you. You have the word telling you this. I'm not telling you that the Holy Spirit is in you. On my own power, I'm telling you what the word tells you. The thing we need to remember about the gift of the Holy Spirit is that he is not only with us, but inside of us all the time. So all you have to do is look within and ask the Holy Spirit for help in studying or understanding this or that scripture in the word or ask him which way to go in terms of a life decision. The Holy Spirit's role is our all around paraclete. That's that term which stands for all these different things. Paraclete of teacher, advocate. He's our lawyer. He's our case pleader. He pleads the case for us. He's our helper. He's our comforter. He's the spirit of truth for us. Make him the most important person in the earth realm. The Holy Spirit is the most important person in the earth realm for us because he is with us all the time to be our comforter, our helper, our aid, our teacher, our explainer in chief, what we need to do. And what we fail to do is either know it or call upon him to do this, so forth. Finally, for this lesson, at least for this particular part of the lesson, uh, there is God's gift of ensuring that we are fully supplied in all things through knowing him. Fully supplied through all things knowing him. So this last gift of assurance is contained in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, and you have it right here. This is like sums up everything. In case you didn't get everything else he's given you, he's telling you right here. Uh, verse 1, grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. Multiplication comes through the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. Two, as his divine power has given us how many things? All things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. You cannot have this without knowledge. You cannot have faith without knowledge. There is no faith without knowledge, knowledge of God's word. So we're going to conclude this discussion of God's gifts with the scripture from 2 Peter 1, uh, uh, 2, and 3, because it categorically states that all things that pertain to life and godliness have already 
that's past tense. They've already been given to us. They all include giving us every spiritual provision needed to live as he desires us to live. His desire for us is to live uh, in life by walking in love, the love of him and our neighbor, walking in the light of the Christ and walking in his wisdom, walking in obedience, walking in integrity, and so on. All things that pertain to living an abundant life would include anything needed in a material or supportive way in our daily life. He's already given us that. So the blessings of Abraham may come upon us. This is just summarizing that he's given us everything, so forth. And that's why I'm ending with this scripture. As the case is with all his gifts, the great thing about God's uh, gift is that all things have already been given to us. And God gives us the key to accessing these all things, the top of page 12. The key to increasing grace and peace, increasing all of these things that pertain to life and godliness is increasing our knowledge, our knowledge of him and of Jesus Christ our Lord. How do we increase our knowledge of God, of Jesus Christ? By studying the word. The word is what teaches us about the Father and about the Son. That's why we study the word in the Bible. This increase in the knowledge of him, of Christ Jesus, comes by finding, learning, and applying the word we study in the Bible. The multiplier, which generates some maximum growth in, in increasing our knowledge of his word that teaches us about him and our Lord Jesus Christ. Knowledge is a multiplier. This multiplied increase is exactly what Jesus is referring to in John 10.10 when he says, I have come that they may have life and have it how? More abundantly. Our God is a God of abundance. He's a God of more than enough. He's about multiplying, not just adding to us. He's about multiplying. So it's important to know, but you won't know any of this unless you study the word in the Bible, unless you're taught this in the word of the Bible. And that's why we teach the word in the Bible here at Crenshaw Christian Center. So that you will know this and that you can know for yourself. So we're going to end with this. Every head bowed. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.